Welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I want you to turn to John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer. And actually we'll back up and just read the last two verses of John 16. Um, if you're able back there, whosoever's on the overhead, if we could put this up in the Amplified Bible. You know, I like I said, we're, trying, we're moving towards more and more understanding the prayer as, as far as speaking more on prayer and intercession. And in particular, one of the reasons is that we've talked as elders and what have you together. And um, we feel there's a, there's a lot going to happen in the early parts of 2018 for us. And we need to be intentional about some of the things that we're going to press into and so that we're, we want you to be, actually, I guess this is the first Sunday I'm kind of announcing. We want you to prepare, and we want, hopefully, I'd love to see every single one of you join in with us. But long story short, the second and the third week of January, we want us to really give over to an intentional time of prayer and fasting. I mean, for real. I said, I mean, for real. To really, really open our hearts and give a push in the spirit, if you will. You know, fasting does break stuff open, man. It does. It, it will, I'll teach a little bit on Isaiah 58, the classic p- teaching on fasting. And please go ahead and read it afresh for yourself. But we're going to do that because right in the 1st of February, we want to, you know, we're going to actually have a special Sunday, like a family Sunday. In other words, for us that are the church and consider ourselves members where we're going to, we haven't done this, I don't think, ever really, which is my fault. But we're going to basically ha- pass out to everybody in the church the vision, the actual vision of this church. We're going to speak to it, take a whole Sunday to speak to it. Deji will share a little bit, Tina will, Abby will, my wife will, and a few others as well, just to speak to the part that we actually have so that you can, quote, unquote, make your decision if you really feel able, as it were, to join us in this journey and to really join us in in what we see God's unique call upon us is. Remember, every single one of you have a fingerprint that's different from anybody in the world, right? Every single church has a fingerprint that's different from any other church in the world. There's always tons of churches that do things better than you do because you're not called to do what they do per se. We all have similarities, but there will always be that uniqueness. And so part and parcel of sharing uh, the vision of the church will be that. So, but we want to predicate it by having these two strong weeks, uh, two strong weeks of prayer and fasting, which is really something. We should all do every January or, you know, do it often. But I'm just saying at least January just to give yourself that impetus for the rest of the year. Amen. So be aware of that. Be praying into it because it's important for us as a church. It's important for what we want to do, where we want to be, uh, for what we know, what we're sensing God wants to do with us. Okay. Just say yes. Just say, of course. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anyhow. John 16, 32. Jesus is speaking, but take notice. Now, Father, help our ears to actually hear this today about prayer, about the Lord's prayer himself. Verse 32, but take notice, the hour is coming and it has arrived, he said, when you will all be dispersed, he's speaking to his disciples, and scattered every man to his own home, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Verse 33, this wonderful verse for all of us. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. And But then again, as I said earlier, he said, but be of good cheer. Take courage. I like the fact, I don't know why I've been in the amplifier, it just says take courage and I, I see it like courage is sitting on a counter and I have to walk up to it and take it and make it mine. Take courage. Be confident. Certain. Be undaunted. And then he gives the reason why. And see, this is a real strong statement for all of us. He said, you need to understand, I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you And I've conquered it for you. Now, in all these familiar verses, at some point, you have to ask yourself, do I actually believe this? Remember, belief is a verb. It's an action term. And it means that you move toward it. 
And that's what real faith is, isn't it? It's moving toward what you know God has said. And having made the decision to believe that when God speaks it's truth, you know, then we move toward this. He said, be undaunted. He said, take courage. He said, I know you're going to have tribulations. I know stuff's going to hit you and because you're in this world. You're in a, we're in a lost and a decaying world. Stuff happens all over this world. But yet he says, be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. See, he's, remember, he's altogether spirit. Though he was still in a flesh and blood body, then he was altogether spirit. And the thing that God always reminds me of is, you know, he's speaking most of the time from a higher platform. He's speaking from a, a place of understanding that, you know, we haven't arrived at yet. We're still down here. We're doing our best to rise up and see more. But again, that just takes time, doesn't it? You walk with Christ these many years, and sometimes, as I've said in this place so many times, we don't mean to be, but we're more converted to church than we are converted to Christ. In other words, we're more, we've adapted our lifestyle more to how church happens and church works as opposed to actually seeking the higher thing and adapting our life towards how Christ lives and how he lived for us. In other words, to copy him, like Ephesians 5 said, copy God, be ye therefore copiers or imitators of God, and walk in love as dear beloved children. Give yourself to it, even as Christ gave himself as a sweet smelling sacrifice. So now Jesus said this. He said, take take cheer. And I love it. I, I, these are, see, in prayer, some of what I want to just share, some of my own prayer life too. Let me say this about prayer first and foremost. I, I trust you know this, but please really hear this. Real prayer is always much more about communion than it is petition. Most people, when they think of prayer, they think of asking. But when you've been walking with the Lord for a while, real pr- prayer means talking to God. Prayer means listening to God. Prayer means being still and knowing is what prayer means. In other words, you shut up and actually understand that prayer is meant to be a dialogue and not a monologue. Some people, you know, like I'd go to churches and they'd have prayer from like 730 to 830 and they'd step up at 730 and yell in tongues for an hour and then say goodbye to everybody and walk out. And it's like God's going, in other words, nobody gave him a space to speak himself. And so Privately, more than anything else, I mean, publicly, of course, we pray. We pray for one another. We pray for situations. But your prayer life is what's the most valuable point that you'll ever possess. You, alone, alone, nothing to distract, nothing to pull you away. This is why you all have to find your own secret place. But you just talking to God. And, you know, the older you get again, it's, it's the most incredible not thing to know that to really believe the love that he has for you, to know that, you know, he already knows every goofy thing about you. He already knows every aspect of weakness in your soul or in your character, but that doesn't put him off. And you have to get to that place again where you receive that wonderful basic truth so much that, you know, you have righteousness, you have right standing with God now, you're not going to have it then. You have it now because of your faith in Jesus that God has deposited, remember, he's deposited his right standing, the same right standing that he deposited that into your spirit the moment you believe. And that's why we have to fight the condemnation, fight Although, but you did this and do that. Because remember, that's the, you always have to ask yourself, whose voice are you listening to? Anything that condemns or tries to take you away from God is the devil. It's just that simple. Or it's your own stinking flesh. And you have to get your mind renewed. And you have to get rid of whining and sniveling and pity parties. And nobody loves me. Nobody cares. I'm going to go outside and eat a worm. All that old stuff, you know, we used to say. You got to just arise above that, man. You really do. And so, I mean, people I've known, people in this church at the time, people I've known, Julie and I have known for over 33 years, have sat under God's word, not just me or Julie teaching, but all manner of people. And they've heard all the teachings on confession, they've heard all the teachings about righteousness, and they still live their life every day thinking about nothing but how worthless they are. How nobody cares about them, 
how God doesn't, you know, just, it's just all negative. And at some point you have to rise up and say, you know, well, first it this way. When I hear people talk like that, I don't judge them. But remember, Jesus did say that we're to judge righteous judgment. What that means is, is knowing how to judge things that are right before God without judging the person. In other words, to judge the activities, to weigh the activities or the, or the word, reasonings or the whatever that people do. But you have to have, but that's when you begin to realize there's some maturity in your spirit where you can actually judge something that's going on in someone's life without judging the person. But when I hear people that talk all the negative and constant stuff about how, what I know, what I can't help but know is they simply have no prayer life. You cannot spend time in the presence of, of my God, this incredibly, overwhelmingly, you know, this incredible weight of love that he has towards you. You can't spend time in that and come away sniveling. You just can't. But see, God help us. You know, I've been at this for like 35, 40 years almost now. And I know, like I said, I still have areas. We all still will because none of us will be perfect until we get to heaven. But there's just the stuff that will hang on from the old days, just wrong thinking, this stuff that just somehow we don't mean to, but we default to it at times. And that's what communing with God will ultimately break because he will just keep pressuring you with his love. He'll keep pressuring you with his acceptance. He'll keep saying, I know that about you. Don't worry about it. It's not like you're, you know, there's nothing hidden from me. There's nothing hidden from me. Yeah, I saw what you did. I saw what you said. I saw how stupid you were. <laughs> but I have gathered you up in that unbelief just so I can have mercy. I'm going to show mercy into you. I am love. And love covers a multitude of sin. He covers us. He covers us in the day of battle. I love that truth. And this every day of our life in this world is a day of battle. Hallelujah. But now we turn to John 17 when Jesus finishes that wonderful statement there in the bottom of 16. Now this, you know, people call our Father, which, which hallowed be thy name, the prayer that's in Matthew 6. We all call that the Lord's Prayer. But it really isn't. That's the disciples' prayer because the disciples had come to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, remember? And he said, pray after this manner, our Father, which art in heaven, and so on. And he went on. But this is the prayer in the scripture, the full, this entire chapter of the Lord's prayer as he was, as it were, just walking. Now, remember John 13 is where it said that he knew that his time would come to leave this world and return to the Father. And all of this, remember, you've heard me say from John 13 to John 21, all of that happens in the last 72 hours of the Lord's life, including his death and resurrection. So this is still what his mind is consumed with. I'm leaving but here's this last prayer, as it were, really full, full look into Jesus' prayer life. He's come to the end of his mission. And those that he loved, it says he loved to the last and to the highest degree. And here he's praying. And let me just ask you this question. How many of you will have possibly agree with me that possibly God heard Jesus' prayer? <laughs> Sounds silly. But see, you got to ask yourself, do you think God heard Jesus in this prayer? And we know in other scriptures, if we know that we hears us, that we, he hears us, we know that we have the petition that we desire. So you have to ask yourself, do, do we believe that God granted what Jesus prayed? And that's why John 17 becomes very, very important. You have to read through it, see what the Lord Jesus prayed, and then you need to, you need to intentionally release your faith, your faith, to receive what Jesus Christ prayed because he's praying it for you, for you. Verse 1, it's a holy, holy chapter. I'm telling you, it's, it's, uh, there's so much here. I've had some stuff in my notes, but I'm not, I, whatever, not going to let When Jesus had spoken these things, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify and exalt and honor and magnify your son so that your son may glorify and honor and magnify you. Now, even right there, see, I get stopped at times because I, 
I know that this is something I'm supposed to pray. Father, I really, you know, uh, as humbly as I can, I want you to glorify me. You know what the word word glory in in the most simplistic definition of the word, it's the Greek word kabod, or actually it's Hebrew, K-A-B-A-W-D is how it's transliterated. But it means the weight. It means a weight, the weighty presence of God. It means something out of the ordinary. But literally, in the, in the Greek here, one that says to glorify, it means, this is what Bobby wants to do with her fashion line. It means to be clothed with splendor. That's literally the phrase. It's in all the lexicons. To glorify is to be clothed with splendor. And it means God's splendor. And God wants each and every one of us to be clothed, particularly at Christmas, with his splendor. Because people are dying out there right now. They need hope, and you're the hope, because Christ is in you. Verse 2, he said, now just, just, just like, just as you have granted him. He's speaking about himself now. Just as you've granted him power and authority over all flesh all humankind, now glorify him or me so that he may give eternal life to all whom you have given me. Verse 3, and this is eternal life. It means to know, to perceive, to recognize, to become acquainted with and understand you, (laughs) the only true and real God, And likewise to know him, Jesus, as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, whom you have sent. So he said, this is is what real eternal life is. It's simply to know God and to know Jesus. And suddenly there's something that carries the weight of eternity within you. See, See, that's a much bigger, 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 bigger thing again than we think. We just read past it, but... As many as received him, he gave, to, he gave eternal life. When you begin to walk with the sense of eternity, now listen to me, just, just listen to me for a minute, and then you can go back to sleep, okay? I'm staring. If you can begin to walk with the sense of eternity, then any trial or tribulation you are going through right now Something about the knowledge of eternity, though we can't fathom what that really looks like. But when something twigs or something, the switch is flipped where where you realize, I have eternal life. I'm going to spend forever, eternity, before God in a place we call heaven, I'm going to forever be walking in the joy and in the presence and the goodness of God. And somehow, some way, you see, the revelation of eternal life is to produce in us a resolve, a sense of being, a sense of it's okay. It's a sense of, again, this is why Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. But he said, guys, you now have eternal life. Right now you do. Right now, whatever you're going through, it is so temporary. This life, again, is but a vapor. It appeareth and it vanisheth away. I mean, it is so temporary. We're here for such a short season. But hell's job, again, is to magnify the negative and get us to just give our entire soul, our thought life, our emotional life over to the negative, something that isn't going as right as we'd like it to go. And this is why, again, you have to just shift. You have to be renewed in your mind. You, you have to... Uh, who, Julie and I were watching when we were up at the barn. We were watching a bunch of Christian TV and uh, uh, just different stuff we watched, but I forgot there's this one, one woman. She, on, she was on that Sid Roth Supernatural program, and she just said stuff in such a simple way. She said, I had to learn how to simply send it back. When those wrong thoughts came, I'd send them back because I knew they weren't mine. And I just said, no, I send you back in Jesus' name. I send you back. You know, you're not going to make it. I send you back. You're never going to ever have a chance for that career again, Sophie. No, I send that back. 
That's not for me. That's not what God says. That's not what God says. Now I send it back. I rebuke it. And I just thought, and I thought, well, how, what a simple thing to do. I send that back. So send it back. Don't accept delivery. Don't sign when FedEx tries to bring it to your door or DHL or whosoever. Don't sign for it. Send it back. Return to sender. Amen? Don't accept it. I can't help it. And this is eternal life, to know him. Verse 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you down here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. That's what Julie was sharing about in another verse, about completing the work. Jesus said, I have glorified you down here on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me. There's, the word glory is used more in this chapter than any other place in the Bible. And now, Father, glorify me along with yourself and restore me to such majesty and honor in your presence as I had with you before the world existed. Now, here he begins to share what he's done. But see, what I want you to begin to see is, again, you could actually take this chapter and teach on it as a, for, you know, for a half a semester in Bible school, which is what they do at times if it's a good school, because all of this is what we as Christians there's another great commission. There's another great commission in John 17 for all of us. Jesus said in verse 6, I have manifested your name. And the Amplified, again, this is why I like the Amplified as well in here. What's it mean to manifest your name? To reveal your very self, your real self, to the people whom you've given me out of the world. And see, that's what all of you are called to do. You're called to manifest his name. Did you hear me? You're called, every single one of you, to manifest his name. That means all of his goodness. That means his character. That means to reveal to people his very self coming through us. He said, they were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed and kept your word. Verse 7, now at last, just picture Jesus. He's in communion right now. Disciples are near him. But if you read further, you'll find out they're not next to him. But he's praying this for his disciples, of which we are. We're going to see in just a few verses as well. He's praying this for us. But see his heart in this thing. And the reason I love this passage so much is because, well, like it says in Matthew 6, and like I said about prayer always being more about communion than it is about petition. Remember Matthew 6 is where he said, but when you pray, first Matthew 6, 5, I think it is, says don't be like the hypocrites who pray for others to see them, what they pray. He said, but when you pray, remember that phrase? He said, enter into your closet. And what that means is your private place. Now, one of the things you have to learn to do to really mature in Christ is find that, that secret place, that closet. And that means, literally the word in the Greek means a storage place or a set aside or a secret place. It'll actually say a secret place. In other words... He said, shut yourself, shut the door on anything that will distract. Enter into your closet and pray. And your father, remember what the next part says? Which seeth in secret, he sees that. I mean, he really, that's, listen, if I can say it this way, the Lord's eyes are far more focused upon you when you're alone than they are at any other time in your life. Because it's what you do, remember, when you're alone that really produces character. That's when we find out who you really are, what you think about when you're alone, what you do when you're alone. That's who you really are. That's where character is established. Remember, the personality is what you show on the outside. So when you meet, meet people, before you know them, all you know is personality. You don't know them. The older you get, the more you see character. I'll share this again, but something I learned from Dr. Coligan all those years ago, he said, like, and I was so true with my mother, you know, when, when, you, when the older you get, like when you go into a home, when you, when, like when we had to put my mother in a rest home, it's amazing that when I used to go back and forth and see her for that matter, I think I've told you when I was still in America, part of the ministry of our church, one of the ministries that all of us had to be involved in at times was going to, to old folks' homes, whatever you want to call them, and visiting these people. And um, 
And it would be scary at times because some of these old women in chairs, the old men, you just cussing. I mean, you know, just cursing like, oh, get out. And they look so sweet and just, you know, all this scuff coming out of them. And Dr. Cole, all those years ago, he said, you have to understand, he said, the older you get, he said, the more of your personality is destroyed. The only thing left is your character, what's really in your heart, what's really in your heart. So when senility began to come or, or some of that stuff had become into old people, you suddenly heard what's always been there that you didn't know. And I was so blessed by my mother, like I said, because my mom was just the sweetest woman on planet Earth, man. She just was. And she'd just sit there and smile and chuckle and always kind of laugh. And, oh, Rodney. She'd call me Rodney. Oh, no, she's the only person on Earth that ever called me Rodney. I know you joke, and Julia tell you, she said, oh, Rodney, don't worry. I can still turn you over my knee and spank you if I need to. And she'd do all this stuff. And I, But she just always had this sweetness about her. But the point is, again, like I said, see, God's not looking at your personality. God knows you. But for some reason, he loves you anyhow. <laughs> thank God, huh? I mean, really, thank you, God. Anyhow, watch this. I have man of verse 6, I manifested your name, I've revealed your very self, your real self to the people whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've obeyed and kept your word. Verse 7, now at last they know and understand that all you have given me belongs to you is really and truly yours. Why? For the uttered words that you gave me, listen to him saying this, he's talking to his father. For the utter words that you gave me, I have given them, and they have received and accepted them and have come to know positively in reality. They've come to believe with absolute assurance that I did come forth from your presence. Have you believed that? Do you really believe Jesus came from the very presence of the Father? That they believe that I've come forth from your presence, and they have believed and they're convinced that you did send me. Now he just flat says it. I am praying for them. I'm not praying or requesting for the world, but I'm praying for those you've given me, for they belong to you. And that's you. And now watch what he begins to say. And this is, he begins to describe as it were, and we get a look afresh into the, a part of our inheritance. He said, all things that are mine are yours. Now think, he's talking to God. And see, I love, like I said, had, we'd have the time. You know, you take this and you begin to realize, I need to talk to God like this. I need to actually believe what Jesus believes. I need to believe that what Jesus is saying, I can say because I'm in him. He said, all, verse 10, all things that are mine are yours and all things that are, all, all things that are yours belong to me. Now, see, I need to say that about myself. Could that be true that all things, could that be true that all things that are yours, Father, belong to me, Rod Anderson? Could that be true? Hmm. All things that are yours belong to me, and I am glorified through them. They have done me honor, and in them my glory is achieved. Verse 11, and now... I am no more in the world. But these are still in the world, you guys. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep in your name, in the knowledge of yourself, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. I'm telling you, that's still one of the most powerful teachings of Scripture to really understand that in him we have been made one with him. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, that, that can sound just so quickly, I don't know what, over-spiritualized. It's like, again, I don't think the human brain is able to conceive the fullness of what that means, to be one. We're not two. It's like marriage. Julie and I, though we're so different, though we go, we think differently in areas, we act differently, we make, we're diverse and so on. But a miracle took place when we were married. We became one. We actually are one. God doesn't see Rod and Julie, really. God sees Rajuli <laughs> or Jurati. I don't know which. But he sees one. We're one. We're one. That's why if it hurts her, it hurts me. That's why if it hurts me, it hurts her. And see, 
I'm one with God. If it hurts God, it should hurt me. You hear me? And you know what? If it hurts me, it hurts God. This is one of the things that you begin to go wow about. If it bothers you, it bothers God because you're the apple of his eye. And this is why when it comes to not other believers, but when it comes to any work of the devil or people that are outside of the household of faith, you know, they need to be warned. It's very dangerous to come against me. That's why you have, this is why the revelation of this stuff, it just, you know, it does cast out all fear. I said it does cast out all fear. You don't fear that stuff. That stuff fears you. You begin to actually walk in it. That stuff fears me. That stuff fears me. But remember, that guy is a liar and the father of lies. And his job is to just keep trying to nurture you with doubt and fear and unbelief until you have fear. In other words, until you take upon yourself part of his character. He's full of fear. So if there's fear in me, See, this is what I mean. You send it back. You say no, because we all know the verse, first, you know, first Timothy, Second Timothy, one seven. God did not give you. God surely didn't give you no spirit of fear, did He? But He did give you a spirit, didn't He? What kind of spirit did He give you? He gave you a spirit of power. He gave you a spirit of love. And He gave you a spirit of a sound mind. That's the one I used to meditate on a lot. That's why you've heard me say a lot. I'm a clear thinker. I say it all the time. Rod is a clear thinker. Confusion is not part of my life. You need to say that about yourself. Confusion does not have a part of my life. I'm a clear thinker. I make divinely directed decisions. I don't make decisions based upon the world's insight and the world's wisdom. What does God say about this? How does he feel about this? What's my spirit feel like right now? as I approach this decision. And now I am no more in this world, verse 11 again, but these are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep in your name and the knowledge of yourself those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept and preserved them in your name. God, I love that. The whole thing about the name is really hitting a lot of chords in me in the last few months. When I was with them, I kept and preserved them in your name, in the knowledge and worship of you. Those you have given me, I guarded and I protected. And not one of them has perished or is lost except the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot, the one who is now doomed to destruction, destined to be lost that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13, and now I am coming to you. And this is an interesting verse too that you need to take more time on. Why does he say it like this? He said, and now I'm coming to you. I say these things while I'm still in the world. In in other words, I need to say this right now in this realm. You need to catch that. That's heavier than you think. He said, "I, I can say a lot of things once I'm ascended back to the Father, but there's some things I need to make sure I'm saying right here. And now I'm coming to you. I say these things while I'm still in the world. Why is he going to say them? I say these things while I'm still in the world that so that my joy may be made full and complete and perfect in them. Now that's his will. He wants his joy to be made complete and perfect in you. And remember, we say it all the time. Happiness is a soulish thing. Joy is a spiritual force. You can be unhappy but still have joy at the same time. And again, this lends lends itself back to the revelation of eternity. I have eternity. Whatever this is, this too shall pass. I'm going to walk through this. I will go past this. Hallelujah. And I know that my Redeemer lives. I'm cool. It's all right. Like the songs. Were those your Any of those songs your songs, David? Eh, Didn't know. Sounded like your spirit, though. That was like the one about the void, about the boat and all the stuff I kept sitting there hearing yep my, I know my voyage is sure because I know who my captain is I just kept hearing that in my spirit the whole time you were singing that song I know that my voyage is sure I really do because I know who my captain is he said but I'm doing this I'm saying this stuff in the world so that my joy might be made full and complete and perfect in depot in Julie why 
I want that they, that Julie may experience my delight fulfilled in them. And to me, that's a good thing to want to reach out and say, yeah, I'll take some of that. That, I, that they may experience my delight fulfilled in them, that my enjoyment may be perfected in their souls, that they may have my gladness within them filling their hearts. And I've got stuff underlined up here on my Bible because that's something, man, I said, Father, man, I want that. I want your gladness within me. I want your gladness to fill my heart. Isn't that a simple thing to pray? I want your gladness to fill my heart. I feel a song coming on. (laughs) I want your gladness. See, you do not have to walk around moping all the time, being negative and sad and freaked out. You know, how you doing? You know, how many of you do indeed know people, if you ask them how they're doing, you know you done opened up a can of worms. (laughs) I mean, my God, you should have kept your mouth shut. You should have never asked that question. Because, you know, you're in for a, and, you know, oh, woe is me, sorrow upon sorrow upon woe upon woe. My cat kicked the bucket, my dog died, my parakeet sang the wrong song. I don't know. There's anything, man. I mean, don't find anything, man, to just grumble about it and just go, whoa, whoa, whoa. But he said, no, he said, I want people that have... My enjoyment, that my enjoyment, now that, see, that's stuff, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. I just get stopped in those verses. That my enjoyment, Jesus is talking, that my enjoyment may be perfected in their soul. He wants his enjoyment perfected in Rod's soul. That Rod might have my gladness within him, filling his heart. I love that. I, I take it, I receive it, Jesus. See, this is the thing. He prayed this, as I said earlier. Can we have enough faith to receive what he prayed for? But you, do the, you need to do that in all these verses. You need to intentionally release your faith and say, I receive this. You hear me, John? I know you're going back to South Africa in a couple of days. He's all excited. I want John, I really do want John to receive. <laughs> now, to receive the gladness of Jesus filling their heart. And see, stuff comes to steal that all the time, man. It just does. And when I think of Mike and Karen, you know, I joke about them, but I've known them for so long. I love them so much. I really do. The hell Mike in particular, well, Karen too, but the hell Mike's gone through in the last 18 months to two years, couldn't get work. This, all the stuff that happened, the stuff that, you know, I'm hiding in the background. But I mean, I used to, when I'd pray for him, and I'm not, doing this to get pat on it. But you know, you'd see, you could just see the stuff. I could see Mike putting his head back sometimes and just, you know, you know, everything within you wants to faint. You want to just give up. You know, what am I? I'm a failure. I'm whatever. No, I'm just whatever it is. I'm, and yet it's such a lie. I mean, look at the, I always say, but look at the giant family that's been produced by this couple. But I mean, it is true and I can't help but always use them for an example because I've, you know, I've known some of them since they were little babies. Little Deborah running around pooping her pants all the time. And, uh, and Dom, you know, Dom was a horrible spitter. He would spit upon people a lot. <laughs> oh, was that you, Mike? <laughs> oh, it's David. It's David. That's David. 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 No, but honestly, you, you, you look at their legacy and you look at what God's done and see the devil tries to kill us, man. You just don't understand it's the real deal. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I keep running back and God, John 17 is important to me, man. I go back to it time and time again because the way you again remember how Jesus defeated the devil, it is written, it is written, it is written. And I always say, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And I go back and say, no, it's written. Jesus, you did all this, that your enjoyment might be perfected in my soul, that I might have your gladness in my heart, filling my heart within me. In other words, and so like I said, whatever's going through, man, I'm going to come out on the other side. You do understand that. If you're born from above, I don't care what you go through in the next 30 years. I'm praying that you go through good stuff. This is what I mean, but that depends on your mouth if you begin to speak in alignment with what God says. But you know what? 
when you breathe your last breath, my brother and sister, you're not going to be sniveling or crying. You're going to be rejoicing in the presence of multitudes of angels as they lead you to an eternal place of gladness and joy and perfection. Hallelujah. Oh, well. Verse 14, I have given and delivered to them your word, your message, and the world's hated them because they're not of the world. See, you've got to understand, you do not belong to the world just as Jesus was not of the world. Do you hear me? You don't belong to the world, so you don't fit. So quit trying to fit. You hear me? They want you to fit. They want you to listen to what they listen to, watch what they watch, live like they live. And you, it's just, if you've been around Christ long enough, like I said, you, you don't fit anymore. But they're the ones that are on the outside, not you. So don't let that, don't let that stuff intimidate you. Don't let them tell you you're corny, you're square, you're stupid, you're old, you're old hat or what. No, 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 no. They're, they're blinded. The God of this world has blinded them, it says. But this is why you rejoice that you're in the light. And see, there's something that happens in the inner consciousness where you begin to carry that, and I'm telling you, it begins to come out of you. I remember, like I said, in the days, man, when I was in the world, you know, I'd come out of stuff. I'd been around hell's angels a lot of my life and stuff, and I'd been around all these tough guys in prison, and I'd been around tough guys in the oil fields and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, some of them remembered me from the old days, especially the bikers and all these kind of guys and what have you. And I won't tell you what my nickname was among the bikers because I'll be wearing it for a long time, so I'm not going to share <laughs> But I mean, you know, all this stuff. And when I got saved, like you've heard me share a little bit of time, they all thought, and eh, the phrase we used to use, eh, he's on a Jesus trip. You know, that's what people used to say. He's on a Jesus trip. You know, it'll, it'll fade, whatever it is. But they began to realize that, um, and, I, you know, that it was real. But I, when I'd get around them again, like even here, when I was here in my first few years, and I'd go back and some of these guys would see me because of places I'd go, especially my hometown. And, you know, it was a rough place in places. And they'd see me. And some of them had heard stuff. They weren't sure. But I would feel intimidated at first. I just would. You know, sometimes, you know, five or six big dudes or whatever still packing and, you know, wearing guns and going through all the stuff they do. And uh, I'd, I'd feel like I'm sad to say it, but in the old days, you know, I'd feel like I don't want to feel weak. You know what I mean? I don't want to, you know, because these guys are, uh, you know, whatever. Big Rod, what's up, man? Is this true? You know? <laughs> Are you really one of them Bible thumpers? You know, all this kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I could tell you story after story. But, and I have that sense of intimidation. But what happened is I began to grow in Christ. Suddenly, I realized that I carried something so much flipping bigger than them. So much bigger than the stupidity of wearing a gun and being afraid all the time. And always looking over your shoulder for the cops. Uh, something much bigger than looking for, you know, who you're going to beat up next or terrorize. But I found myself all of a sudden, something happened on the inside of me where all of a sudden Rod wasn't intimidated by them anymore. And I'm telling you, it's a funny thing because all of a sudden I didn't say something. I didn't try to be different. But when I would walk into a room and they'd see me, they were different. They responded and reacted a whole lot different to me because something I was carrying was more real than what they were carrying. There was something... Um, there was something more weighty about what I was carrying now than what they thought was cool or heavy or sharp. I'm just telling you that Christ is bigger than any stuff in this world. Anything that the devil tries to throw. I think about Dom when we pray for Dom and stuff about this, about wanting to be in, in that whole area of show business, West End, whatever, you know, plays and, and stuff that he does and the gift that God's put within him. That's tough, man, you know, because it's just surrounded with every kind of excess and sin that you can imagine. And, uh, boy, the pressure's great, to say the least. You know what I mean? The pressure's great to conform. And in many places in that business, you don't get business if you don't conform. That's the flat truth. You know, friends of mine that have worked there and Julie's that have worked there. But this is something else. But something, when you finally make that step, like I said, and that switch flips where, you know what? I am of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. And you begin to, something in you just walks in. And so you walk in a room and you're carrying an influence that you don't even know is there. And it affects those around you. And see, that's what he had. That's what he's praying that we would awaken to. 
And that's what I'm praying that all of us here would awaken to because that's what's going to be, that's what's going to cause change in the world is that stuff in you. Again, see, you're going to learn, you're going to have more and more insight into that verse, Christ in you, the hope of God being glorified in the world. In other words, they're going to seek, I don't want them to see me. I want them to see his faithfulness. I love a verse, I think, I forget where the verse is in Psalms, it says we are to be living memorials to the faithfulness of God. In other words, they need to be able to look at your life and say, I can see by looking at you, God's faithful. I can see the change. I can see who you are now. I need to hurry. I'm sorry. I'm really, as I always say, oh, I want to get my watch at work. Watch, watch. Oh, my God. Okay. Let me hurry. Verse 14, I have given and delivered to them your word, your message, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. They don't belong to the world, just as I'm not of the world. And this is why, again, don't be surprised. Verse 15, I do not ask you. Now, he's talking to God. I do not ask you that you will take them out of this world, but that you will keep and protect them from the evil one. Now, I want to receive that. Father, I, in Jesus' name, you did this. You prayed this. I believe God answered your prayer. I thank you that you will keep, I am kept and protected from the evil one. I believe I am. Now, stuff still happens. Does that mean I'm not? No, 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 no. When it's all said and done, believe me, I'm kept and I'm protected because of what I carry, not because of what happens. Did you hear that? I'm kept and protected, not because of what happens, but because of what I carry. Verse 16, they are not of the world or worldly, belonging to the world, just as I am not of the world. And, of course, verse 17 is incredibly powerful sanctify them, I'll quote it from the King James, sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. Now the word sanctify, as it says in the, King, in the Amphitheater, it means to be set apart, to be consecrated. How do we get set apart from the rest of the world? Through his truth. Hallelujah. See, let it be as simple as, but as profound as it is. The what separates you from the rest of the whole jive world is the fact that you have God's word. You have truth sanctify them through, purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. Now here's verse 18, again, another incredible. Just as you sent me, I have also sent them. Hallelujah, there's your mission. See, every single one of you in here have a ministry. And number one ministry that you have is that you are now able to connect with heaven. You can pray. Do you hear me? Your prayers make a difference. Just like he sent, just like God sent Jesus. Well, how did he send Jesus? He came, he sent Jesus to save, not to condemn. He sent Jesus to deliver. He sent him to bring the joy. He sent him to save. Just as God sent Jesus, he sent us. You're a sent one. That's why to a degree, you see, every single one of you are quote-unquote apostolic. You're sent into the world to shine his light and to make a difference with his word. Just as you sent me, I've sent you, Des. You've got the same commission. This is what I mean. This is the second, as it were, the great commission. You've been sent. You need to look in the mirror, point at yourself, and say, I've been sent. You've been sent by God to make a difference. You have been. I'm not trying to hype you. And see, this you begin to carry it and you begin to realize whatever. You know what, Lord, I'm going to, you know, when I was a child, I did childish stuff, but now that I'm more adult, I'm understanding more. You know, I'm I'm just going to put this crap aside. Sorry, I'm not swearing. It's just the way it is. You just realize this for what it is. I'm going to put that aside. I'm sorry. I didn't even realize. Why did I let that stuff linger in my life for so long? I'm No, no, I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. Why? Because I realize... I'm on a mission, man. (laughs) The Blues Brothers. (laughs) I'm on a mission from God. Hallelujah. Just as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them. And so for their sake and on their behalf, I sanctify and consecrate myself. So this is what Rod has to do. So I've read this that way. Okay, God's allowed Julian Lander to be the pastor of this church. You know what? then for your sake, Rod needs to be sanctified because this is a holy calling. 
This is not a vocation. Ministry is not a vocation. It's not a job. It's a calling. And any I know a lot of ministers, any of them that take it lightly, woe unto them. They're in big trouble. But it says, this is what he said. He said, for their sake and on their behalf, I sanctify and dedicate and consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified, dedicated, consecrated, made holy in the truth. Part of my commission is to help you be made holy by your revelation of the truth, that you might be sanctified unto God, set apart unto God through his word and through his truth. But see, every single one of you have that mission. I all have that mission. You do. Ultimately, you'll do that on stage a lot. You will. I mean, you really will, because I know your love for the stage and stuff, but you really, really will. People are going to be sanctified because you'll carry the spirit of the word, not the letter. That's what I love about people that are going to be in the West End or what have you like that. It's not that you're going to be quoting 5 million Bible verses. Remember, it's what the verse teaches that you are to live. It's what is commissioned in the Scripture, not the Scripture. That's the life of it. Oh, and so for their sake, on their behalf, I sanctify, dedicate, and consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified and made holy in the truth. Verse 20, neither for these alone, and this is why, thank God for this verse, because of neither for these alone do I pray. See, he's sitting there. He's probably on his knees. It is not for their sake only that I make this request, but here comes us, but also for all those who will ever come to believe or trust or rely on me through their word and teaching. In other words, we believe on what Peter wrote. We believe on what Pauline the Revelation, what Paul wrote. He said, I'm not praying for just these, but for anybody who will ever believe on this, that's you and me. So this prayer is for me. That's why I receive it. Hallelujah. Verse 21, and this is why, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe and be convinced that you have sent me. And, you know, you can quote that, but here again is one of these verses you have to exercise and say over and over and over out loud, slowly as you can until you begin to see what's actually being said, that you can believe it again, that you, in again, he's sharing here what Paul's going to share in the book of Colossians that in Christ you have been filled with the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That they may be one, just like Jesus and the Father were one. Just like. In other words, nothing different at all. That they all may be one, just as you, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be one in us. In other words, we get to be, we can be so hidden in God that someday, who knows, they may be able to look at you and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen Dom, you've seen God. Can you imagine carrying that testimony? Can you imagine Bobby and all her devotion to God that one day people say, I can show you a little bit about what God looks like. Just watch Bobby. Watch how she responds to people. Watch how she prays for people. Watch how she serves people. I, you can see a lot about God by looking at Bobby, and it's true. You can see a whole lot about God by watching Julie at home. She's the same. I'm telling you, this woman prays. She's, she's devoted to God. But think about having that testimony, being able to somebody else to say, you want to know, well, I, know, I can show you, you know, a whole lot about God by showing you this person's life. Man. And then verse um, 22, I have given to them the glory. I have given to them the glory. They, he has given to you and I the glory that God gave him. Now, that's hard to believe. But I'm asking you by faith to receive it and be able to say, Father, if this, uh, this is true because you've written it, I receive the glory. I receive the glory in my life that you gave Jesus. You can understand how people outside the church would think you're absolutely crazy to say that. But this is where it's not arrogance, it's humility to believe that what Jesus said we can do and we can pursue. I have given to them the glory and honor which you've given me that they may be one 
even as we are one. So again, we could go now to why Satan does everything he can to divide us. Verse 23, I and them, I'm going to hurry now. I and them, I and them, Jesus and you. Now he prayed this. I and them, it's true. Whether you feel it isn't the issue. Whether your head doesn't comprehend it is not the issue. This is God's word. It's eternal. It's truth. He wants us to dare to believe it. I in them, you in me, in order that they may become one and perfectly united. Why? Again, the whole end result is because of this, that the world, he's trying to get the world to know him, that the world may know and definitely recognize that you've sent me and that you've loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have entrusted to me as your gift to me may be with me where I am. Now, Ephesians says that you've been made to sit together with him in heavenly places. That prayer is answered. I desire also that those whom you have entrusted to me as your gift to me may be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, your love gift to me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Oh, just and righteous Father, although the world has not known you and has failed to recognize you. Can you imagine, like I said, remember he knows he's about to leave this earth. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows the old covenant promises. Oh, just and righteous Father, although the world has not known you and has failed to recognize you and has never acknowledged you, I have known you continually. And these men understand and know that you've sent me. I have made, and this is again the part of our commission, all of this, I have made your name known to them and revealed your character and your very self and I will continue to make you known. Here's the big word, the big word called love. And I will continue to make you known that the love which you have bestowed upon me may be in them, felt in their hearts, that I myself may be in them. That's his prayer. And he stops there. Like I said, you know, we could work, you could work on this for a month. But I'm praying that you go home and you just take this yourself and read it in different translations. Do you hear me? You have a job to do. Enter into your closet. You're all, you've all been commissioned. But dare to believe what he prayed. Dare to believe that God heard him, that God answered him, and that what he prayed is so. And therefore, begin to confess this stuff to yourself, over yourself. Possess it so that it might be more yours. Please hear me. This is what I'm trying to spit out. The closer you walk to Christ in this time, the more successful, really, you're going to be in this life. And remember, God's definition of success may not be like yours. But don't worry about it. When you begin to experience God's success, it overwhelms any other sense of or victory or fulfillment that you could ever have. Because God is good. He's just altogether good. Amen? So just please read this. Father, like you played, prayed, Jesus, Jesus, this prayer of yours, knowing that you're about to leave this earth, knowing that you're going to go to a horrible death, praying these incredible truths and saying things like sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth, how I can sense and feel the passion in your heart when you know that you know that you know that's the only way we're going to be made different when we begin to align ourselves to your truth. Oh, Father, help us to walk in the, in the strength of that and in the light of that. Help us to dedicate ourselves like he dedicated himself so that the people we're around might be bettered. That's all we want to do. We want other people to be bettered by knowing us. I mean, that's a big thing, but it's the truth, and they can be. I, we all know people right now that have made us better just by virtue of who they are what they carry, their testimony, their help, to how they're always there. Father, that's what you want in us. And I just thank you for this prayer, Jesus. I thank you for what you've prayed. I thank you for what you said. I thank you for the hope and the strength and the encouragement comes from it. And I thank you, Father, today that we walk out of here knowing that you're 
deeply in love with us and that you want this love revealed to the world. So I bless these people today and I thank you, Father, for encouraging them. I thank you for opening their hearts and minds. I thank you that they will not be dull of hearing. They will not have eyes that are closed. But in the name of Jesus, they will hear and mix faith with what they've heard and that they will walk out of here better than they were when they walked in because just more and more of your wisdom has struck their spirit. So I thank you, Father, they will lean not to their own understanding, but they will acknowledge you and your truth for what it is, eternity in a scripture. I bless them in the name of the Lord. And I thank you for their going. I thank you for this week. I thank you for everything they put their hands to. Prosper them. Bless them. I mean, really, man, that's strong in my heart over the last few days. Bless them. Empower them to prosper in the name of Jesus. Father, I'm from my gut, I'm asking you, bless this people. Meet their need. Show yourself alive in every area, in their spirit, in their soul, in their body, in their health, in their finances, in their relationships, in their career. Father, take them from strength to strength and do something special in them. Let them stand out among 10,000 in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's your will. I am expectant for you to show yourself alive like a bomb going off. And I thank you that you were going to do it because we are going to see your great and mighty hand. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to see your great and mighty hand upon us. Oh, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Hallelujah. If you agree with any about any of that, say amen. Amen. Stand up with us then. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 